Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Arms out wide. If we're gonna fear, we fear no evil. We will rise by your power. We will go by your spirit. We are bold. If we're gonna stand, we stand as giants. If we're gonna walk, we walk as lions. And here we go into hour number two of mornings with Carmen. Just. We're doing it without Carmen. It was good to have her in the first hour. Again, she's up in Fargo, North Dakota right now, battling the snows up that way. Uh, they're under a winter weather advisory. And for a, uh, you know, a Tennessee girl like her, it's like not normal. Not normal at all, especially this time of year. She was kind of shocked. I I get it. I get it. Of course, then again, you know, being an upper Midwestern kind of guy, it's like you, we, we want to get to the green. Oh, we want to get to the green so bad. I'm Paul, the producer usually. Ryan uh, moved into that chair so I can move over to the host chair here on uh, Faith Radio for the second half of this, uh, on this Friday edition of Mornings with Carmen. It was, uh, again, sad learning earlier this week. Well, kind of bittersweet. But uh, one of the voices you have heard for many years here on Faith Radio, Charles Stanley, has uh, gone, to, gone to be with the Lord. 90 years old. Long, long ministry, not only as as part of In Touch Ministries, but as a pastor in the Atlanta area and the, the father of Andy Stanley, who many of you know and, and respect. Lots of uh, tributes coming in, lots of remembrances, and one really jumped out at me, and that's from his grandson, or at least one of his grandsons, Matthew Broderson. I think I've got that last name correctly. He uh, is reflecting on his grandfather's words that saved him from suicide and how the late pastor's lifelong faithfulness to the gospel served as a source of solace through his turbulent life. You can find the full article, by the way, at ChristianPost.com. But Matthew tells the story, despite growing up in a family immersed in ministry, his mother, Becky, is Charles Stanley's only daughter. Matthew Broderson's Life wasn't exactly an easy one. He didn't take the easy path. A few years ago, he said, while I was living in Los Angeles, I was struggling with drugs and alcohol and deep depression. I I blew up. I blew all my inheritance money. He told the Christian Post, I was suicidal. I called my mom and said, I'm not doing well. I failed and I think I'm going to kill myself. Well, in the depths of that depression, Broderson received a phone call from his grandfather, Charles Stanley. He said it changed his life. He said, I don't want to talk to you very long on the phone. I just want to ask you one question. Why don't you give Jesus another try is what Charles Stanley told Matthew. Matt says, I don't remember exactly what happened after that, but it meant the world to me. I started crying and crying and crying after the phone call, and I decided I didn't want to die. Yeah, that was the turnaround. That's what God used, the Holy Spirit used, to call Matthew at that point. But I want to give you a little speculation. It wasn't the only thing. It wasn't just those words, why don't you give Jesus another try, that made the difference. I think it was the years of faithful, loving, grandfatherly care. 
Charles Stanley seek to live rightly. He wasn't perfect. He would fully admit that. But he did so faithfully. And out of the context of that, of that faithful, loving witness, those words, why don't you give Jesus another try, had a lot of weight on Matt's heart. A life well lived. As we seek to love those around us, be faithful, be loving. That is a powerful, powerful witness. And at the right time, at God's time, it may bear fruit. Another thing I want to talk about before we get to Adam Holt, who joins us regularly from Plugged In, looking at entertainment and media news and such. I I found this one really interesting. Story about Jennifer Gardner. She was recently on the Today Show, and she was talking about raising her kids. Um, She has three, Violet, who's 17, Serafina, who's 13, and Samuel, who's 11. And, you know, most teenagers, they, they want their smartphones. They want to be on social media and all that stuff. After all, all their friends are... And Jennifer said no. Well, actually, no. She didn't quite say no. This was brilliant on her part. I just said to my kids, show me the articles that prove that social media is good for teenagers. Then we'll have a conversation about you getting on social media. In the end, you know, as the kids went through the multitude of research showing the detrimental effects social media has on kids, the kids can argue it. So the actress kids have been off social media, and actually now her oldest, Violet, is, you know, grateful. But Jennifer said, oh, it was a long haul to help them understand that. But she stood her ground and had them do the work. I, that, that is so important. You know, it, it's a long haul thing as parents raising future adults. I love how Jennifer Gardner helped the kids think through their request to be responsible. I loved that. I love that. The effect is, I love that effect because that's what we try and do when we have Adam Holtz on, is to help you as a parent think through a lot of these things and help your kids think through their media and and entertainment choices, as well as your own, to be honest. But we'll be talking with Adam Holtz in one minute. I'm Paul Perot filling in for Carmen this hour on Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. Just without Carmen right now, I'm Paul filling in. And that music means Adam Holtz from Plugged In is joining us. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Paul. How are you today? Doing okay. Doing okay. Again, thanks for all you do at Plugged In, uh, not just oh, reviewing movies. You. And actually, it's kind of cool because you have a whole bunch of things, including YouTube reviews, because YouTube, I, more and more I get to you know talk with kids. It's like, yeah, I'm watching this on YouTube. I'm watching that on YouTube. And it's like, okay, that's that's the major... Uh, major place a lot of these kids are getting their entertainment not netflix or stuff like that no that's exactly right and and the other thing that's happening these days is short form video continues to just explode mm. and by that i mean tiktok especially uh but uh, there's a new tiktok knockoff from the same company called lemon eight which sort of merges tiktok videos and instagram ish photos and we talk about that in our tech trends blog uh, from last week. So we're doing our best to really stay on top of what's happening uh, so that you and your family can 
you know, have a place where you can land to say, okay, I want to just catch up on what's influencing kids today. And that means not only movies, uh, but music, TV, video games, YouTube channels, as you mentioned, and what's happening with technology trends. Yeah. Well, it is. there's a lot of stuff in there. And I, I do commend people to look at the tech trends uh, for April, including the social media. You had something there, social media possible gateway to pornography, fentanyl. And it is. And there's a lot of pressure on kids these days. And that is one of the areas. Talk about that a bit more. Yeah. You know, I think that anytime that we have online exposure, there is the possibility that even something that is inadvertent could lead in a bad direction. And social media, unfortunately, um, can be something that, that pushes people in that direction. And part of the problem is, when you search on one thing, they uh, say, oh, you're interested in this. And so they'll push you uh, toward that direction. Obviously, we've got pornography, we've got fentanyl, and and theoretically, most of those platforms are not going to involve uh, explicit imagery. But a lot of them, you know, that's such a, it's such a subjective call. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. on Instagram personally, and I regularly have stuff pushed into my feed, even though I'm not looking for it. And I'm like, okay, I suppose technically there's not nudity here, but golly, it's about as close as you can possibly get without actually crossing that line. So I think it gives us a false sense of security to think, oh, well, that's not really allowed there because you can still get really sensual and suggestive imagery. And for some kids, if they have a predilection toward that, that really can be the proverbial slippery slope. And mm-hmm. I know that it's you know we sometimes we sometimes get scolded for being scolds, right? You know, we're we're gasping and clutching our pearls and we're the church lady. But look, <laughs> we are we're designed as human beings, especially in the area of sexuality, uh, you know, with uh, I think a, a desire to experience intimacy with other people, right? Mm-hmm. And And for some people, like you said, Paul, that really does set the hook and they go searching for more explicit imagery somewhere else. Yeah. Actually, in the next half hour of the show, uh, we're going to be talking with Zachary Wagner. And um, the book is called Non-Toxic Masculinity. And I mean, there's so much that can hook us, that grabs us from our bad side, so to speak. And yeah, yeah, we as Christians can overreact in the wrong way. Got that. Got that, because he, he addresses issues of purity culture and such, which was well-intentioned, but yes, it, it caused more problems than it actually helped. But what do we do to get to more of a healthy sexuality, be it male or female? I mean, we're going to focus on the male aspect. Uh, that's coming up in the uh, latter half of this hour. So I hope you stay with us for that. When we come back, um, Adam, I want to focus on Discord because it's another one of those platforms out there that really got in the news recently because right. of uh, – I'm tr- I keep forgetting how to pronounce his last name, Teixeira. I think it was Jack Teixeira. Yeah. He was that young man who was part of the uh, Massachusetts National Guard who accessed all those secret documents and then released it. Uh, first place he released it was – Discord, and I was kind of going, I hadn't heard that before, so hopefully you can inform us about that too. As Mornings with Carmen continues, I'm Paul filling in here on Faith Radio. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. 
As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. You say come to the river. There are so many digital platforms, social media platforms. They just continue to grow. And then as a parent, how do you keep up? Hey, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen on uh, Mornings with Carmen. And Adam Holtz from Plugged In is joining us. And as we're talking before the break, Adam, uh, about this website, there are this platform called Discord. Uh, Yeah. Can you give us a real quick summary what it is? Because it was in the news because that's where some of those Intel documents we heard so much about were released. Yeah, you know, Discord is a platform that um, was created in 2015, and it primarily was, at least initially, targeting gamers. And it was designed for video gamers to be able to communicate with each other, uh, especially when they're playing games online. You know, most video games these days, back in the day, you would get a cartridge or, Mm -hmm. you know, a CD or a DVD. Now you download stuff. And the vast majority of games are online play. Um, And so, for example, during COVID, uh, my son played a ton of of Fortnite. And we could have a separate conversation Mm -hmm. about that. But you could have your game open on one screen. And then on another screen, you could have a Discord server open where you have perhaps video or perhaps text or perhaps both going simultaneously. So it becomes a way to communicate in game that is better and more efficient than most of these games own in-game communication um, functions, essentially. So it was a very targeted thing. Since then, uh, those two features, the chat feature and the video feature, um, they've expanded it. You know, like a lot of things I find with social media is that most of them start with one area of specialization. You know, mm-hmm. YouTube is longer form video. Snapchat started out as primarily a, a way to share pictures that disappear. Instagram was primarily visually oriented. Tech, you know, Facebook was more text oriented, but they all sort of tend toward the middle, if you will, mm-hmm. and that they see what other platforms are doing. They're like, oh, we could do that. We could do that. We could do that. So even though Discord started out in the gamer space, it has evolved to um, you know, a chat platform that lots of people who aren't gamers are using. And with all of these, um, maybe the biggest concern is less what is inherently on it and more who are your kids interacting with? Because so much of that content uh, and potentially what they're exposed to is going to be directly related to who they are relating to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know, Discord has the ability actually to put a lot of limits in place which is a good thing, but if you have a child on it and you don't know who they're interacting with, that's potentially a problem. And again, as we were talking about in the last segment, you know, I don't want to be clutching my pearls and gasping in horror, but I think it's good for parents to be aware of what, uh, you know, what you can do with these things. It's not necessarily bad, but it also is really dependent on your child's wisdom, on your child's vulnerabilities and, and what the issues are that 
could potentially make it something that isn't healthy for them. Mm-hmm. So if people want to know more about that, you have a guide up at, again, at pluggedin.com. People can read all about it and get informed and, again, be the parent in that. Changing topics here, uh, Adam, we're talking with Adam Holt from Plugged In, and, you know, you keep an eye on music. And over the weekend, there was what was billed as a collaboration between Drake and The Weeknd. There was a song that racked up like 10 million TikTok views. But it was taken down because it was one of those deep fakes. Tell us about this. Yeah. You know, the deep fake technology is absolutely exploding because these AI tools, and we're hearing so much about AI right now, have become so sophisticated at, you know, what they call artificial intelligence or machine learning that you can tell it to do something, it will scour the web and very, very quickly create something that um, is a reasonable facsimile. Like if you're not paying close attention, it might fool you. And not only in music, not only with voice, not only with images, I mean, you can almost pick whatever category you want. Uh, We did a a podcast on this recently, and Paul AC asked ChatGPT to write an intro to our podcast, which it did. And it was pretty good. I know somebody, <laughs> I know a pastor who said, write me a sermon on this. And he used part of it and then gave full disclosure and said, you know, this was created by chat GPT. And I think that we're going to see more and more of these sorts of things where so-and-so said such, oh, no, that was actually a deep fake. So-and-so mm. did this or that, or, yeah. you know, we got a picture of this or that. Uh, you know, there was a deep fake thing with, you know, imagining the arrest of Donald Trump, uh, you know, several yeah. weeks ago. And I'm telling you what, Paul, again, if you don't know what you're looking for uh, or if you don't have that sort of is this real filter on, you could be duped. And let's face it, you know, we have talked about fake news for a long time. I think this is fake news on steroids or turbocharged or mm-hmm. pick your your metaphor um, we're just going to see more and more of it. And what I think is going to happen is that's going to create confusion. It's going to create lawsuits. It's going to create damaged oh, yeah. reputations. Uh, and I think that we're going to reach a, a tipping point, you know, even apart from fears of AI going full Terminator on us, <laughs> yeah. where the lawyers are going to say, time out. We got to put a, we got to put a lid on this because it's wrecking people's lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm thinking so. Even though it does rekindle one dream I had about the story about Drake and Weekend. Okay, some years ago, do, oh, let's back up. Do you know the song? It's the classic contemporary Christian song from the 1970s called Your Love Broke Through. Yes. Okay, it was written by, by Keith Green, who has passed away, died yep. in a, a plane crash in 82, and uh, Randy Stonehill, who has a version of that of his own. Um, there was also a Phil Keggy version. And I always dreamed, because I've talked to both Randy Stonehill and Phil Keggy, mainly Phil Keggy. Can you guys, because was, this was shortly after there was, uh, you know, like Unforgettable, the duet that was done with Nat King Cole, who had passed, but his yeah. daughter, they, they did a digital duet. It was great. And I'm kind of going, yep. could you guys do a trio of Love Broke Through and never happen? Even though Phil Kagan thought, hey, this is a great idea, which never happened. Maybe in this digital space, <laughs> it can be done. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it can. And so certainly there are creative possibilities that are really interesting. But I think we all know there are tons of unscrupulous people out yeah, there the problem. who are looking to make a buck and they can pull off something like this before 
anybody even knows what happened. And mm-hmm. my guess is they'll get sued and my guess is they'll pay damages, but you know, it will take years for that to wind its way through the legal system. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so there's, we just have to be even more wise and even more on our toes than we have been up to this time. Yeah. Hey, real quickly, uh, take a quick minute. Um, pick one of your movies because I have four on here: The Pope's Exorcist, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, uh, Ghosted, and what's that last one? Chevalier. 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 Oh, so French. Which one do you oh, want to so highlight? French. Yes. Well, let's talk about Chevalier because it's in theaters. Uh, this is a biographical movie um, about a man named Joseph Boulogne, whom I confess I had never heard of. He's been dubbed the Black Mozart. He was a contemporary with Mozart. Uh, he was the illegitimate son of a rich French businessman and a slave from Guadeloupe. Uh, and his father said, the only way you're going to make it in life <clears throat> is to pursue excellence. And so he did mm. that. He was a champion fencer, but he was also an incredible violinist and composer. Uh, and is really, I think, in some ways, just starting to get his historical due. And this movie tells his story. Cool. Uh, it's a story of a fight against racism. We also see he was kind of a playboy. So there's quite a bit of sensual material here too. So he wasn't uh, he wasn't a squeaky clean character by any stretch of the imagination. But I think if you like historical movies uh, and you are uh, aware that there is that content in this movie, not a movie for kids, it's PG-13. So mm-hmm. it's not crazy explicit. Um, this is an interesting story about somebody that that I didn't even know existed. So, uh, and again, his name was Joseph Boulogne. And Chevalier was the nickname that Marie Antoinette gave him, and it means it's French for the night. So there you oh, go. Okay, okay. Well, check out that and all the other reviews, and again, the information. On social media and all the other stuff, the reviews and information that the the team had plugged into. So uh, uh, thanks again, Adam, for joining us here on Faith Radio. You bet. Always enjoy talking with you, Paul. All right. This is Mornings with Carmen. Up next is Breakpoint. Well, this is... This is uh, Mornings with Carmen, just without Carmen this hour. I'm Paul Perot, and uh, got an interesting conversation coming up next. First, though, I'm going to thank Ryan Mitchell for stepping into the studio to fill the producer role as I do the host thing here. And since I have you here, Ryan, well, first again, thank you for coming yeah, in so early. absolutely. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday. I want to play a little word association with you. Okay. Up with that? Yeah, Okay, absolutely. I give you a word. What's the first thing that comes to mind? So, okay. frosted. Flakes. Okay, cool. Cocoa. Beans. Cocoa beans? I was thinking, <laughs> it's just the I was first thinking thing okay, breakfast, <laughs> Cocoa Puffs, Cocoa Krispies or something like that. Cocoa, would work too. Okay, Cocoa Beans, that's fine, that's fine. Uh, jumbo? Uh, jumbo. Thinking of like a hot dog? Okay, that works. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. I like a good jumbo hot dog. And how about this, Toxic? Uh, masculinity. Uh, you you kind of cued in on that one because that's what we're going to address. And, you know, I'm thankful that I get to do this conversation. It's not that Karma's not a great interviewer. She's far better than I am. But we need to have some guy talk here, especially if uh, you're a guy. I want you to listen up. But even if not, I want you to listen in. We'll be talking about the idea of masculinity. Our culture seems to be very negative toward masculinity these days. And for obvious reasons, when you think of the Me Too movement, even the Church Too uh, hashtags that were out on social media as women came forward saying, I was abused and in church. What are we doing as men to foster not just a non-toxic, 
but a healthy, whole, life-giving masculinity. Zach Wagner from the Center for Pastor Theologians will be helping us think through this next in about three minutes. So I hope you stay with us. Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. In the eye of the storm, you remain in control. In the middle of the war, good. Let that word sink in because you go back to Genesis 1, God creating the world, and after he did each stage of creation, good. There's something right about it, whole about it. When God created man, he made them male and female. He declared it not just good, because this is the capstone, very good. God created masculinity and femininity to be good, reflecting something beautiful. Is that your experience right now? (laughs) Probably not. Far from it sometimes. And how can we get, though, to that good again, especially as a guy here, as, as men? Hey, I'm Paul filling in for Carmen this hour on Mornings with Carmen, and joining me now is uh, Zachary Wagner. Zach is a writer, a researcher. He's an ordained minister. He, uh, I'm jealous, as I said to you, Zach, getting to be in Oxford, England, as you're studying for your Ph.D. in New Testament studies, but also you're the editorial director of the Center for Pastor Theologians. Hey, thank you for joining us this morning, Zach, on Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, wonderful to be with you, Paul. Thanks so much for the invite. You are welcome. And I'm holding here your book called Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. And it's a challenging book of what I've read. I haven't even mm. been able to read the whole thing yet, but it's a good book. I, mm. I, I, there's a lot I actually resonate at this point in my life with it, and, I'm, and we'll mm. get to that a little bit later. But first off, as we talk about this, it's not just something you researched you did research, yes. but this is yes. personal to you and to your wife. I want you to start our conversation by telling us about Shelby. Sure. Well, Shelby is uh, my wife. We met in Wheaton College uh, in late 2009 and ended up getting married in 2014. And we've been uh, married for coming up on nine years then, obviously. Um, and... I mean, she's a wonderful person, and really, this book wouldn't exist without her. And uh, one of the things that we found uh, difficult about our marriage, as much as our marriage was working really well uh, in so many other ways, was our intimate life. And um, we came to find a few uh, years into the marriage, although we weren't using uh, this language early on or had this understanding that Shelby is a a survivor of uh, some abuse from her childhood and Mm. from her past. And uh, that in, in our life, in my life came uh, into intersection with this broader story that I heard you talking about before we came on together here about me too. And this abuse crisis, not only in the culture, but in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that, that came together and I should qualify that she's all, she's very happy for me to be sharing that. So I'm not like, (laughs) I'm not, you know, that's with her consent. I'm not just kind of pontificating about her life. She she is very open and happy to share that as well. Of which I'm grateful. As a matter of fact, she got the first word in the book. She wrote the mm-hmm. foreword. And yes. uh, and she gave full endorsement of everything you guys talk about. Mm. So, so appreciative of that. Now, here she is, the victim, as it were, of, you know, toxic masculinity, if you want to talk yes. about that. And... Okay, this is your story as well. It's not just, again, you, something you researched. This is your story because 
you at this point, when this collided with, when when this issue came up, it collided with you being brought up in what is oftentimes termed as purity culture. Yes. And okay, I, I've been struggling how to go forward because. I want you to share your story, but you also have such an incredible definition for that. But first, tell me your story about this, because it collides with Shelby's hurt in in a very profound way. So talk yeah. about that. Yeah, I think like many young men in my generation who grew up in the church, you're exposed to and often commended towards uh, a lot of these, quote unquote, again, purity culture resources that place a really, really strong emphasis on saving yourself for marriage. Uh, But not only that, also the promise of this beautiful and fulfilling intimate life once you are married, provided you, you know, air quotes here, follow the rules and live according to God's uh, design. And then the other part of my story there is, like many young men of my generation, I was exposed at an early age uh, to, you know, sexually explicit content, you know, the rise of high-speed internet and smartphones and all of this. And that's a struggle that a lot of young people had uh, around my generation. So I was carrying a lot of shame from that. Uh, And then, but heading into marriage and that that later stage of life, this expectation that this was all going to be easy and beautiful and shame-free for not only the shame that I was carrying from my younger years, but also Shelby's story came together to make that a a point of struggle for us. And it didn't didn't pan out uh, for us in the way that purity culture uh, led me and and us to believe. And it led to, and I was reading the story about you and your, your wife, at marriage counseling and yes. where this really came you, you you knew you wanted to love love her well she wanted to love you well and she was broken up by this cuz yes. she was exposed to purity culture too and mm-hmm. she's kind of, and there was this false narrative that came into mind um for her it's like if i'm not providing Zach this way i'm failing and it it I don't know how to go talk about that. What was going on in that session? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was this expectation that I think is it. It tends to be very male centric on the husband, where the intimate life in marriage is about the husband's needs, quote unquote, mm-hmm. and the wife's obligation, and that creates this very one sided dynamic. It seems mm-hmm. to me where it's not about communion and mutual self giving and uh, coming together in a way that's mutually uh, enjoyable and life-giving, but is really about uh, uh, an entitlement and then uh, on the husband's part and then a duty on the wife's yeah. part. And that's a really toxic and dehumanizing idea, it seems to me. It is. And, and uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was saying that gives into or leads into part of what you talk about when it comes to toxic masculinity. You had a you had a great definition. It jumped out at me. It's like, wow, I like that. You, can you give that definition? It's not long. Sure, yeah. You know, if you were to Google toxic de- uh, masculinity, you get some sort of, you know, Oxford English Dictionary definition that has to do with being macho and emotionally rep- repressed and all sorts of, you know, laundry list of things. The way I define it is it's a way of living out male embodiments that dehumanizes self or the other. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because I think it's important to remember that when men live out their masculinity in, uh, you know, dangerous or non-life-giving ways, it's not just that they're harming others. I believe that they're harming themselves as well. So, and that's, that really jumped out at me, that whole idea, because oftentimes we think about, okay, the woman is being dehumanized, which is true, which is absolutely true. Absolutely, yes. But we don't realize we've also dehumanized ourselves. Correct. When we, yep. we give into that. Okay. Before we go to break, I want you to give your definition of purity culture because a lot of people are saying, well, all you're doing is talking about living according to the biblical Christian sexual ethic. But yes. there's more around it than that. Give your definition because yeah. it is so good. Yes. So I think a lot of people, kind of like you were alluding, would say anything, any implication that sex and marriage go together is purity culture and is repressive and all of the all of these sorts of things. I don't I don't go that direction with my definition. No, you don't. I say purity culture is a cultural movement associated with kind of the conservative Christian church in America as its center that sought to commend traditional sexual ethics. So that's a separate thing, but it's the way that Christians commended that. The theological assumptions, resources, books, strategies, events that Christians leveraged in America in response to the sexual revolution. So this is something that's about really the past 40 years or so, Mm -hmm. not all of Christian history. No, no. And I want to key in on that last phrase you said, when we come back in just a few moments in response to the sexual revolution. Uh, Oh, by the way, people have been texting in book. Yes. If you'd like to win a copy of the book, I have a few on my desk. And uh, if you want to win a copy, well, tell you what, get in the drawing by texting the word book to 877-933-2484. And again, it's Zachary Wagner and Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. We'll continue this conversation in just a moment here on Faith Radio. If you're a new listener, we want to officially welcome you with a free welcome pack gift. Request yours today at MyFaithRadio.com. If you're driving to work right now, I hope you are paying attention, looking straight ahead, seeing what's in front of you. You're not driving solely for, you know, as you're driving forward solely by looking in the rearview mirror or those little video cameras they have now, Zach. I am not a fan of those. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little old school, those backup cameras. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. We're talking with Zach Wagner. I'm Paul filling in for Carmen here on Faith Radio, talking with Zach Wagner about his book, Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. And yes, we have copies of the book we are giving away. So if you'd like to get in on the drawing, text the word book to 877-933-2484. We were talking, Zach, before the break about your definition of purity culture, which is the uh, refers to the theological assumptions, discipline, uh, discipleship materials, events, and rhetorical strategies used to promote traditional Christian sexual ethics in response to the sexual revolution. And oftentimes I feel one of the weaknesses of the purity culture was not that it wasn't saying something true about the traditional Christian sexual ethic. Yes, that's true. But oftentimes, because it was in response to the sexual revolution, it's like driving down the interstate 65 miles an hour while looking through solely through the rear view. It's it's dangerous. It's the Mm -hmm. wrong perspective. Mm -hmm. We want to go towards something, and I think that's where your book takes us. 
show us Jesus, because I think that's the first place we need to focus on, to look forward. Tell us about that. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree that one of the fatal flaws of the purity movement was that it was at its root so reactive. And um, I think there is, you know, if men want to be captured, if we want to kind of capture the imaginations of young men in particular, we need to commend something positive, it seems to me, Uh, is something that they can aspire to, something that is exciting and beautiful to them. And I think in scripture, we have that in Jesus. Uh, You know, you began this conversation talking about the fact that human beings were created in the image of God and declared very good. And I believe not only that, but in spite of our sin, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, became a human being, not just any human being, but a male human being with a male body and all the constituent parts of male embodiment that uh, you know you or I also experience. Mm-hmm. And that is a radical reaffirmation of the goodness of maleness. Mm-hmm. And um, any cultural narrative around, you know, it's toxic to be a man is is a false teaching. Uh, it is actually a beautiful and wonderful thing to be a man. And I think that's a great foundation from which to start. But we also see in Jesus's life, the wonderful example that he gives us of the respect that he has towards women. And oh, yeah. recall that he was a single celibate man who never married, never had sex, never literally fathered children, but nonetheless was a fulfilled and wonderful example of uh, godly masculinity. And then the last thing I'll say about Jesus is his death and resurrection shows us that whatever brokenness that we have in our bodies or even in our ways of living out and living into uh, cultural forms of masculinity, Jesus in his resurrection shows us that there is a new way to be human and a new way to be human means there's a new way to be male, a new fully human way of being Mm -hmm. male that gets us back on that track that we were created for and uh, towards the type of men by the spirit that we were created to be. Yeah, we're, we're called back to God's original design in the redemption. And, and I, I, I feel that pull more and more in my life, especially as I'm getting so old. Uh, mm-hmm. Looking forward to the resurrection myself. Um, okay, Zach, we're t- again talking with uh, Zachary Wagner, author of Non-Toxic Masculinity. And toward the end of the book, I love how you paint this beautiful picture that you were just talking about because yes jesus never had children biologically yes but he shepherded he, he had a family and he, he you know isaiah calls him everlasting father because he he had this mm. fathering that he did for his church for his disciples and still does today you point out that probably one of the key aspects of healthy masculinity probably the best showing of it is not even in the marriage bed or anything like that, mm. it's in fathering. Yeah. Tell us about that, because this is a beautiful picture. Yeah, well, I think even our sexuality, and you know, you referenced the marriage bed, marriage bed that points towards something, mm-hmm. it seems to me. That points towards fatherhood. The end result of that part of ourselves, you know, in the way that it was designed, leads to new life and children in a literal biological sense. But I don't think men should think about because you look to the example of Jesus, as you were just saying. 
I don't think literal biological fatherhood should be the only framework that we can think about what it means to live as a father in the world or what it means to have a paternal orientation towards the world, you might say. And I think all men are called, as part of our creation calling to fill the earth and subdue it alongside women, are called to be fathers to the world in whatever way we might be called. That is what it means to living, loving, caring relationship with others where you are seeking, uh, yes, to provide and care for them, but also to shepherd and live alongside them and delight in them and really seek their good. Um, and also cultivating creation, you know, non-human parts of creation, like, uh, you know, your work or, you know, any number of hobbies or outlets or artistic pursuits. All of that seems to me to be a cultivating and a fatherly orientation towards the world. And I think if we can capture that vision from Genesis, that will give us a really, really rich and robust um, and expansive definition of what living out our masculinity in a life-giving way might be. What did Shelby say after she finally read your finished book? I mean, so many things. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I could come on one. And I should say that she is so involved in every single page. I mean, we sat together and read through the manuscripts and she gave me uh, you know, her thoughts and edits and this and that or the other thing. But I think what you read, I'll I'll just, I guess I'll just say this as a teaser. What you read in that foreword where she has the first word in the book is, is her feelings about it. And I'm really grateful for her uh, support and encouragement because there's no way I could have, could have done this without her. Hey, Zach, thank you for writing this. Thanks for joining us today on, on Mornings with Carmen. Again, his book, Non-Toxic Masculinity, Recovering Healthy Male Sexuality. We do have copies we're giving away. If you'd like to get in on the drawing, just text the word book to 877-933-2484. Zach, uh, best, uh, best wishes on your studies at Oxford. Again, a little jealous of you, but, uh, you know, enjoy. Hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Great to be with you, Paul. This is Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. Well, again, this is Mornings with Carmen here on Faith Radio. We come your way every weekday to help you apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day. That is the mission, that is the goal of of, uh, Mornings with Carmen under the broader mission of helping you connect faith to life so you can show the world Jesus better. You know, we do that because of you. We are a listener-supported ministry, not just on radio, but through the podcast and the web platforms and all so much we do. Again, it's an extension of you because we have been from the start listener-supported. Now, next week, starting Monday, 6 o'clock, I hope you join us. It'll be our spring fundraiser here on Faith Radio. Of course, really, don't wait. You don't have to wait to become part of the giving family. Just, you, you can text the word GIVE, or you can go to, uh, to 877-933-2484, or go to our website, myfaithradio.com, and become a giving family member to Faith Radio. Thank you so much. Boy, we've been here over 70 years. It has been a joy, and it continues to be a joy to serve you this way, pointing people to Jesus, thanks to you. Have a great weekend. This is Faith Radio.
Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.